Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Barbican Screen Talks. Hello and welcome to Barbican Screen Talks, where we re-release our pick of the best interviews with filmmakers and film fans recorded at the Barbican Cinemas and stored in our vast Screen Talks archive. So far in the series, we've heard in-depth discussions of British films including The Wind That Shakes the Barley, High Rise and Bell. In this latest podcast, we bring you a frank conversation with the man behind the first black British feature film. Horace Ove was part of a wave of Caribbean artists and intellectuals who arrived in Britain in the 1950s and 60s. Born into a large bohemian family in Trinidad in 1939, Ove came to London to study art. He began his career as a photographer, documenting leaders of the black power movement such as Michael X, before turning to directing in the late 60s. Ove has had a diverse and exceptional career, including celebrated documentaries like Reggae and A Hole in Babylon, pioneering British TV programmes such as Empire Road, and even an appearance as an extra alongside Elizabeth Taylor in Cleopatra. But in this conversation from 2005, Horace Ove talks to his friend, experimental filmmaker John Acomfra, about 1975's Pressure. The first feature film to deal directly with contemporary black British lives, Pressure was funded by the British Film Institute and, controversially, held back for two years, before its eventual release to widespread critical acclaim. Pressure was co-written by fellow Trinidad-born author Sam Selvan and follows three generations of a Trinidadian family living in West London's Ladbroke Grove. Herbert Norville stars as the family's youngest son, British-born Tony, who grows more and more disillusioned as he faces unemployment. Alienated from his white friends, he follows his older brother into the black power movement. In the interview you're about to hear, Ove reveals how the issues explored in pressure are still relevant to the black British experience today. He discusses his early exposure to cinema growing up in post-war Trinidad, and he explains his refusal to be pigeonholed as a black filmmaker. But first, a warning. This is a frank discussion about race and filmmaking, and so features language that may offend some people. Also, like the making of Pressure, the recording of this screen talk was a somewhat lo-fi production. This means our mics didn't quite pick up the audience questions, so I'll be back later to help out. I'm Eleni Jones, and this is Barbican Screen Talks with Horace Ove. Good 
won't keep this thing long and I'll get Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, folks, um, we're not going to hog too much of the limelight, because I know you've all sat there for a while, so you probably want to say things yourself. What I want to do very briefly is to say a couple of words about Horace, ask him a couple of questions, and then... Um, is that all right? Yeah, all right. Go with it. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe we should just jump in straight away. <laughs> what do you think about it now, looking back on it? Just because we were both standing there watching it. And when I look back at it, um, and it's a... Although from this perspective and many years after, I mean, it, it looks kind of rough and dangerous and all that sort of thing in a way it was put over. But a lot of it happened. Mm. A lot of what was going on there was reality. Mm. And maybe this is why the photographs outside also, because I took all those photographs and, and many more before making the film. So that, that all, all that sort of research went into making the film and being part of it and seeing it. And, um, Although after the, we made the film, it was banned for nearly two years before we can get it out. And some of the critics, good critics, saw it, wrote about it, and then it was released. But I could see from lots of people's point of view and perspective how frightening it could be, because they were not in that world. You know, they were not experiencing what was going on, especially white people in the country. I mean, pressure was, maybe I should just incorporate what I was about to say yeah, go into the questions. Pressure was, for me, the end of a cycle that starts with Baldwin's nigger and, you know, basically your independent cycle when you do a range of stuff, principally about black struggles and black politics and black figures. Yeah. How did you make the shift from a kind of marginal institutes wouldn't talk to you to, to the BFI, which would have been at the time, you know, it would be what, the Film Council of its day? Well, the BFI didn't really want to do it, to be quite honest. Uh, we, 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 we took that idea around television, different companies, and everybody turned their back, and the BFI was a bit worried about doing it at the time also. Mm. And I think there was a few people that got together and said, well, you know, let's see what could happen, you know. Black filmmaker, it might make too much of a good film or whatever. Mm. Let's try and put it out. Mm. But so, what, you had the idea and then you went to them or...? No, 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 we'd written a script and everything. We'd okay. written, written a script independently. Mm -hmm. You know, myself and Sam Selvan, we wrote the script independently and we had it all ready to go. Mm. And then the BFI eventually um, agreed to do it and finance it. It wasn't a lot of money, but a lot of my friends at that time in the film business and I, who I went to film school with and who we came together and I just do and the majority of them were white filmmakers who, you know, was part of that whole 60s politics and understandings and knew it and things, you know, um, got together with me and said, all right, we'll give you four to five weeks to shoot it, let's go for it. Yeah. After that, you know, we got to go on to other films that earn some money. So we went for it and we did it. The pressure is extraordinary for all sorts of reasons. One of the main ones for me to start with the top was that it was the collaboration between you and Sam Selvin. Yeah. And in a way, the film highlighted what was unique about you. Because of course, anyone who'd seen the documentary you did recently by the Caribbean Arts Movement mm -hmm. would know that you arrived with a whole range of titanic figures, you know, the Selvins, the Sulkies, and yet out of that whole crowd, you were the only one you know, occasionally mm -hmm. Giancarlo would write the odd mm -hmm. 
play for, but you were the only one of those major intellectuals who came from the Caribbean at that time in the 60s who turned to cinema and turned to image making. Why was that? Um, cinema was always in my life, mm. from the age of 12 in Trinidad. Mm. We had the cinema, and um, I don't know, maybe, I guess from the 40s right through to the 50s and 60s, you had about six American bases in Trinidad mm -hmm. who was training in uh, their soldiers in guerrilla warfare and all of that, and they used Trinidad to do it. And they built several cinemas to entertain them. Mm -hmm. So therefore, there was about two, 300 cinemas all over the place. So we were exposed to the cinema. And we got involved in it. Also at the same time, because Trinidad is such a multicultural kind of place, you saw French films, films from Spain because the people from all over those parts of the world living there. Mm -hmm. um, and a group of us got into films quite seriously, you know, mm -hmm. and that is going back to the 50s, long before I came here. So it was part of my life even then, mm -hmm. you know, and then coming to Europe and living here for some time and then going to live in Italy in 1961 when I was working on the huge film, Tell Cleopatra. No, we want to know how you met Elizabeth Taylor. Well, <laughs> Don't we, folks? Come on, we do, we do. You can't know that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I worked in Cleopatra, and I think it was around 61, here. And um, they built this huge set for millions of pounds and all of that. And, um, and they hired a lot of local people and extras and so on and so on. Myself and my cousin, who's an actor, Stefan Califa, got a job on it. Um, because we had this kind of brownish color so we could be in the crowd and look like Roman soldiers in the sun. But you were standing up in the freezing cold and they said, action! And you throw it off and you look like you're all right. And then Elizabeth Taylor got fed up of that, got fed up of the lead actor, I can't remember his name right now, from Australia, <laughs> fell in love with Richard Burton and said, let's bring him in, he will be the lead actor in this and let's move to Italy. <laughs> So the whole film moved to Italy. Including you, of Including me and all the other brothers from here. Mm. You know, we went off to Italy. And um, I was made a slave in Italy, though, as soon as I got there, this is your slave. <laughs> <laughs> there was no more Romans. <laughs> no more Romans. No more Romans. <laughs> but um, it was great for me, because Italy exposed me to another sort of cinema, that whole kind of realist cinema. Yeah and surrealist cinema and um, that world of, you know, and even cinema, all that was happening in Rome and Italy at the time. And that really messed my head up and broke me away from the kind of Hollywood movie, which um, a lot of it I could still see in Pressure. Mm. The, the other thing which is really extraordinary about Pressure was a, a quality that I always associated with you from the minute I met you. I remember when we used to come up to see you in the early 80s and say, can you teach us this or teach us that? And you say, well, you know, the quality that you had, that the other figures that I talked about, you know, you and John LaRose had this quality. It was this ability to embrace mm -hmm. what was going on here, even then, you know? You seemed to be able to be in that world, world of the Caribbean and... You know, yeah, um, and this one at the same time. And then pressure has that, doesn't it? Pressure is a kind of... I, I think that goes back to back home in Trinidad, mm. which um, is something that everybody's discovering here now, but it, it, it was such a, a multiracial society mm. in Trinidad, and everybody was mixed up and all that sort of thing, and people came together and hang out, mm. no matter what class, what color, because of the carnival that came out every year, and everybody came together. Mm. 
And it, it kind of prepares you for the rest of the world. I mean, just the other day, I was trying to explain somebody when I came here and I saw paintings by Picasso and Salvador Dali and all that sort of thing, and I, I didn't make a fuss about it, and everybody said, why not? This is really modern art. You know, but you grew up at carnival. You grew up at guys walking down the street five o'clock in the morning, coming out as a monster, as a dragon, as a bat, something full, somebody jumping out of a tree. So it's a very surreal world, right? That's one side of it. And the other side that people came together. So although you're in Europe and you had all these racial problems in Europe, you were still not trying to go around hating everybody because in Trinidad you knew every class and every color and all that sort of thing. You grew up with that. So you, you went out there and tried to do something about it, you know. The film was a, a departure for you in one significant respect. I know there have been there are other films, and there was a great moment when you showed me this unfinished short fiction that you've done. Yeah, well, there's, um, there's another side of me as a filmmaker. It wasn't mm. just... I mean, it was important to make all the social and political films at the time because you came into it and it was happening around you. And, and as a filmmaker and a photographer, I got involved, and I, it was there and it was wrong, and I wanted to do something with it. But as a filmmaker myself, you know, you have other ideas. You have, you know, as I've always said, you, you, you don't have to make social political films all the time. You could, as a filmmaker, and as a black filmmaker, and this thing about a black filmmaker must yeah, only do this. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm against that. You're a filmmaker, no matter what your color is, guys. You're a filmmaker. I know they like to put you in this black rubbish bag and bring you up every year. And, yeah. Forget that. <laughs> you know, you're a filmmaker. And I would love to make, I, and that's what I did. I had the opportunity to do a few of those and, and go out to do other subjects, you know. I, would, I did the professionals and all that sort of thing. I did the life insurance and all that. You know, just to break away from things. But the whole political thing was very strong and it was there and one had to do it. It's like the film I made on um, A Hole in Babylon about the spaghetti siege and all that sort of thing. But there is, there is that thing, there's a kind of political humanism in your work. Oh, yes. Right? There's, yeah. you know, it's political humanism in my work, but I try to come take it out of reality. Mm. I mean, there's in pressure and seeing pressure there. A mm. lot of it is what I experience with different families and people and every sort of thing. I know sometimes I show press and everybody, a younger generation is embarrassed about the mother and the way she acts. But she's a real West Indian woman. And women like her, from in that Windrush period that came here and was upset and screamed and cried, used to put them in a mental home at one time here yeah. and thought they were having a mental breakdown. They now discover after many years it's the right thing to do, scream, cry, shout, and clear your head. And she was doing that. And I've known a lot of even black critics were very embarrassed. How could you show us like this? You know, how could you do that? How, you know? But she's real. Would you do anything differently with her now if, she was, if, if this was set now? Well, her generation is gone, you know? I mean, you guys are now British, so we have to deal with you <laughs> And this is what the film is about, oh, so is exactly. that poor kid trying to find his way in those two worlds, you know? Before that, a lot of the work had been documentaries. What was the impulse? to go to, to drama? No, drama was always there. Drama was before documentary. Explain that. But um, 
Documentary was there because I like making documentaries, and I, because documentaries expose you to reality. Mm -hmm. You have to go and you see the real world, and you make films about it. That's why I made you know mm -hmm. various documentaries mm -hmm. because of that. Mm -hmm. From from music documentaries to political documentaries to Bhopal, mm -hmm. I made the first film on Bhopal, gas disaster, mm -hmm. and different things, and the first thing on reggae music and various things. I love documentaries, and documentaries expose you to real life and real people. Pressure's a kind of blip, isn't it? Because immediately after that, you really do get into documentaries in a big way. Yes, yeah. yes, And you yes. try and yeah, do yeah. But, uh, yeah, documentaries and, yeah. and, and But pressure has all of that in it. Pressure it has does. a mixture of the documentary, the drama, mm -hmm. the, the kind of surreal filmmaking, the, the world outside here and the world that is going on in his head, yeah. which is very frustrating for, mo frustrating for most of us. Yeah. It had to be expressed, you know. Sometimes we just make a film about what's happening in front of us, yeah. but we never uh, make films about what's happening inside of here. Yeah. You know, while you're talking to me and while I'm saying something and people are sitting out there, there's a whole lot of other things going on in each person's head. Yeah. And I, I saw that out of European films and that really interests me. And it's something that I've learned growing up in Trinidad too. People talk about the dream, talk about the head, and your parents yeah. did that. Yeah. And that is what came out of also in Prussia. I mean, people always, you know, because we started saying it, yeah. it's now kind of fashionable to say, because it's true that you are our preeminent director. But of course, when they say that, they usually mean filmmaking. But of course, you're also a major innovator in television. A whole spate of work that happened. Yeah, there was quite a lot of work. You were first, right? right. right. So yeah, Empire yeah. Road, right oh, now. Oh, it went to Empire Road, it went um, Orchid House series, yeah. and then I did um, Latchkey Children, which was kind of first um, multiracial thing about a bunch of working class kids, white, black, foreign, who was living in a, in a neighborhood, you know, and they're, they're wrong, the, the, the only pleasure they had was this little playground and they swing and mm -hmm. they were breaking it down and they all got together and go up to the House of Parliament and fight again. Mm -hmm. There's quite a few things like that I did for television. Do you regret that in some way? Because you see, one of the most extraordinary films ever made in England in the 70s. And in a way, if people had seen it before, they'd realise that you invented a drama documentary. <laughs> you, you and the War Games Man is a film called Hole in Babylon. But Hole, Hole in it was Babylon. shown just in television. It didn't... Hole in Babylon um, was, was banned for a time or How so. did that come about? Just so that people know, Hole in the Babylon is a drama documentary that Horace did about the Spaghetti House siege of 19... Yeah, 76, 70, yeah. 76, and, um, 77. A lot of people might not know what was the siege, which is the first major siege in, in, in England. Mm -hmm. And it was done by three black guys, two West Indian guys and an African guy, mm -hmm. who held up the spaghetti house because they were trying to raise money. Mm -hmm. Before that, one was a teacher, one was an artist, a poet, and so And they were trying to get money to open a black school to teach kids about their own black culture and educate them about African things because no other, there was Jewish schools and other schools, but they weren't in black and they wanted to do it. And everybody refused to give them the money to do it until this, this heavy African brother who had just come out of Frank. prison, who was a real guy, said, listen, stop going to the white man for money. Let's go to the spaghetti house and stick it up. They got money down there. And that's the real story, it really happened. And this is how they got into it. Luckily enough, I was able to film it in the spaghetti house. Well, <laughs> I used some of the guys who were trapped in the real thing as part of the film, you know. But they agreed to do it. Yeah, they kind of do it because 
don't forget, I mean, this we're talking about the 70s, mm -hmm. but by 1961 and 62, I already lived in Italy, mm -hmm. so I was, you know, <laughs> they trusted me, you know, so you can't make us look like stupid Italians, you know, you must tell the truth, so this is what we did, and it was banned because, um, again, the police didn't want us to show that they used guns to stop the siege, because at that time, the police didn't want to admit to the public that they had guns, and they did this, and it was, they tried to manage the BBC, and the BBC was very good about it, and argued that the yeah. film was honest of what had happened, and blah, 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 and also the Italians said yeah. it, yeah. and then it was shown. I mean, this political humanism, last question, I'm going to open it out, and then if nobody says anything, I'll say some more. Um, <laughs> political humanism, I'm happy to, I mean, I could talk all night, as you know, <laughs> with you, we've done this several times, so. Um, the political humanism I'm talking about is also something that's reflected in your choice of stuff. There's always a shift from drama, a bit of documentary. Yeah, but it's, it's but, in but real life. Let me too, ask you know? this question, because you yeah. keep saying this, and it nobody is. pins you down on it, right? You say, and you know that some of us don't agree with this, but right. I now understand why you say it, which right. is the dumpy put in this black bag and put yeah. in the corner. Yeah. Do you think that has something to do with why you've worked in so many different areas? Yes, 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 and yes. And why yeah. is that? You, because I'm, you know, because I love filmmaking. Mm. It's like, you know, my photography out there is, looks like so, social political things about the black woman. Mm. But I photograph many other things, mm. you know, that has nothing to do with what you see out there. Mm. Because that's the world I live in. I live in the world and I love to travel and I love to study different things. And I don't want to be just limited just to make one type of movie because, you know, you are the darky filmmaker, so you just do that and shut up and then... And then. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
and carry on. That was, you know, that was never my scene and still isn't, and I wouldn't encourage any black filmmaker just to accept. I'm not saying not to make black films, sorry. It's a different, yeah, but absolutely. you're a filmmaker. Forget every time they talk about you, they, talk, they put your color first. Forget that, that's bullshit. You know, you're a filmmaker, and you should get out there and be free to do what you want to do. And this has always been my attitude. But it's not that Horace is some clever guy. No, no. My parents gave me that from Trinidad. See, the interesting see, thing is, you know, you know, in the conversation, there's a very interesting conversation between Horace and Menelik Shabazz, our other very, very important filmmaker in the last issue of Sight and Sound. And you say, I don't want to put in a bin. And Menelik says, well, actually, you see, um, I come to this because black was like a, a landscape that wasn't being painted and I wanted to paint it. And yet when we look at your work, that's precisely what you've done. Yeah, I did it. Do you know what I mean? So do you think... Menelik was running about in that police scene as a little see. boy. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's, that's right. precisely what this is about. That, that was what yeah. pressure was about, wasn't it? Yeah. The demand to be free was then the demand it to... Was, yeah, it was the demand to be free and also to make a film about reality. Mm. It's all part of the real world. We weren't trying to just separate it. This is what's happening. Mm. This is what's going down. Yeah. And a lot of films, I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't have your feature films and things like that, but a lot of films clean up and go the way they want to make, you know. Right. Go down in one road and don't say this and don't say that and take this off the scene and mm. clean it up. Mm. What I tried to do with it is to show the reality that we were living in at the time mm. and what was going on on every level. Mm. And there was a brave white girl that was able to attack her landlady and say, don't, you know, portraying mm. her black boyfriend. And that happened. Those things did take place. I mean, it was just extraordinary. I mean, you know, when we saw it, the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, my God, this guy's caught us. Because, of course, all the tensions and ambivalences, contradictions of that boy's life yes, was. Yes, yes. So, did you know that, or I mean, dark as how didn't understand that. Then. <laughs> you know? He says he does not. He didn't understand that. Then I remember going to see him, and he, you know, you just felt instantly this kind of misunderstanding, this chasm between you. But yet you managed to cross that. How did you do that? I think it's, it's the world I live in. Mm. That's it. That's what I can say. I'm a, I'm a person that, you know. I live in that world of it, just people. I don't care what is their color, class, or creed, or whatever. They're my friends. And, and if you want to be a racist, and you're that stupid, and you're that dumb, and you want to carry on, then I will carry on. But that doesn't say I'm going to stop having white friends because one guy is a racist, or one guy is foolish. But you know, I love people, and I believe in filmmaking. If you're going to be making films or writing novels, you have to understand people from all races and classes, else you're joking. And I don't think you just pick up about personalities and people just by reading a novel or, or something or getting an idea from that alone. You have to get to know people. You've got to have to get to know them in real life to really reproduce that whole thing. Let's stop there. Because I'm going to move after this to... And I'm going to run stuff. just No, now, you're not. So you're going to stay yeah. right. <laughs> so do you have any specific questions about pressure? Hi, it's Ellen here with the first of my interruptions. The question is about whether Ove shot any film with civil rights activist Michael X. Can you say a bit, bit about Michael X? <laughs> no, 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 quite a character. Yes, I photographed him. I, didn't, I, I think I never really made a film in him, but we shot some bits and pieces of film. But I photographed him in, in various activities that were going on at the time. But to get into a story with Michael X, heavy. 
Michael could take you on every level of society. Michael, I'll give you an idea of what I'm saying then. All right, Michael S. could be on the block with all the hustlers, the, the, the drug dealers, I mean white and black and heavy and everything on one scene. And um, two hours after, he said, I have an appointment and he's up somewhere else with lady this and lord so and so and so and that so and so and that was his kind of life. He moved that way. Michael X went to the head of the police um, station in Ladbroke Grove to tell him that racism got to stop and you've got to stop attacking black people in the street and treating them this way and the police got to do something. And he arrived in a convertible, um, I think it was a Chev or something, with the police inspector daughter in the car waiting for him. <laughs> Carry on from there. You know, Michael. <laughs> Right, to how he ended, you know. Anyone else? Okay, there's. A... Yes. Who is a director or an auteur? This question is Was there a director or auteur who had a big influence on the films you made? Oh, well, I had a um, great influence by um, Antonioni and Fellini, you know, and Brunwell and all those sort of. Because I lived on the continent, and I just. That, that whole new world on the continent really messed my head up because growing up in Trinidad, growing up in the Caribbean and just seeing American films and then going there and seeing De Sica and all these works really changed my mind and realized that they made films that, that were surreal, films that would deal with the realist world and the world around you and the world inside of you and, and reality. So that changed my whole approach to filmmaking. Do you see that there's any kind of... Um... This audience member asks, a lot of your energy seems to have come from adversity. Do you see the same level of spirit from young black directors today? Mm. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I think what we had then and what Melvin, you know, is that whole togetherness through that black struggle and black power that people came together and identified and, 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 and was trying to help each other, black people on all different levels because of the racism they're facing, because they wanted to change things, so people became closer and closer together. You had that feeling, you know, and you could have, and we did, I mean, that's why I made the film on Baldwin's nigger and James Baldwin and Dick Gregory came here and they allowed me to make a film on them for nothing and all that, because that was the kind of togetherness. And you had more of these, political meetings and meeting places where you're talking, we're trying to work out the problem. So it brought that kind of community that I don't think exists, quite exists today with young black generation. I'm not saying you're not hanging over it, doesn't, you know? And trying to help each other on all levels of society. There's also this tension though between your interest in art or aesthetics and politics. Yes. And it's there in all the work. Yes, yeah? Yeah. What do you think that's about for well, you? I was brought up with art around me. My, you know, my father was in the hardware business, but he was a, a mad artist, mm. right? In the house, he will change things, buy objects, put it on my house, you're falling over all kinds of objects that he's recreating and all that sort of thing. Uh, and, then, and then my whole family was also involved in the carnival where people were designing and painting and, 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 and making costumes and, and thinking of the, uh, you know, a new idea. So you're growing up around, it's like an art school. You know, you're growing up with that all the time as a kid. And, and also we had, and in those days we had theater at home and each family home and friends in the area 
we'll put on a, a, a short play on a play and we'll all act in it. And all. So that whole environment was there before I arrived in Europe. So it messed my head up. You know, it was there. It's always been there. And, I, and, and it's still here because my whole world is painting, drawing, photography and film and I can't help it. You know, it doesn't make me rich, but I can't stop doing it. <laughs> and so did you have that kind of quintessentially Caribbean, African oh, yeah. thing here? Did the politics come when you arrived here, or was that something you... No, no, the politics was long before I arrived here, the politics. So I was aware of the where politics. Did, where was that? Well, that, that happened in Trinidad also. The politics and being aware of politics was happening in that part of the world. And because I grew up with a family and friends and people who was aware of politics then and abroad, you know, I mean, we had a strip in Trinidad, and I'm talking about the 1950s, we called the Gaza Strip. Okay. Where American soldiers with jeeps and cars and all that sort of thing driving along the Gaza Strip because, you know, Churchill, I hate to tell you guys, Churchill gave the Americans for them to come into the war in the 40s. Mm -hmm. For 60 years, they gave Trinidad to train soldiers in guerrilla warfare. So they came and they tried to take over the place. So you come out of your house in their jeeps and cars, like what you see in Vietnam films, that happened in my island. You know, and they had a strip, they call the Gaza Strip, where all these kind of things that happened. There's a film that I still want to make. There was a big black guy called Samson. And his kick kids was every Saturday and Sunday where all the Americans were hanging out in the clubs and the bases. Samson will train in his wrestling and his fighting, mm. right? Mm. And he will go down there to challenge these soldiers who was outside the bars and clubs and people will bet. You know, you grew up with all of this, you've seen all this fighting, you've seen all this thing going on. It, it, it was really there. So coming out to Europe, which I've lived and traveled through and Africa and everywhere else, you know, it's just put everything together in mm. a sense. Mm. You know? But, you know, somebody like Michael X, some guy mentioned him earlier, yeah. you knew him in Trinidad, right? I knew Michael X in Trinidad as a, as a young boy, right. you know. And you knew him here? Yeah, I got to know him here. So, the, was there a difference in the kinds of ideas that you guys, I'm talking politically now. Yeah, quite different. He was in a whole different world. Mm. But when he got into the whole black power scene and what was happening and all the meetings and activities and demonstrations, you know, I took that opportunity to photograph most of it. Because it was there, you were conscious that this was the thing had to be done right. to change things of what was happening with black people at the time. Was the desire to then make these images, I'm talking films, I'm not photographs, right. was that coming from that world or somewhere else? No, it was coming from that world. From that world. That world, yeah. Okay. Question from over. This question is about whether Ove would be interested in making a sequel to Pressure. It will be interesting to do Pressure Part 2. It will interest me to be involved in a project like that, but I, I don't know if I should be doing it, though. I don't know if I'll be stepping into something where a younger generation who is going through. Like Pressure, I went through the, the, the experience. And I could still see what's happening around me, but maybe a younger person who is going through and living it, like I did in the old days, but she should do it themselves, you know. Next question. How did you come by lead actor Herbert Norville and what made you choose him? I don't know. Most of those guys were not really real actors. Even the guys who were playing the rough part and the guys who were stealing and robbing them. They, were, they all came out of real life. And, and Tony, um, yeah, he was into acting and all that sort of thing, who had the lead and all that sort of thing, but he hadn't done a lot. And all the, most of the other characters, young characters, I found them by when we were researching the film and walking, going all over the place, you know, and they did it. 
and they played themselves. And a lot of um, a lot of the dialogue we written to, and when we were filming it, they put their own stuff into it. We left it to so keep that reality going because I really wanted that. I really wanted to have you know real people playing the part. Um, I would like to ask you about one. The next question is. What do you think has changed since you made Pressure? And do you think there is still radicalism in the current generation? Using the word radical, they're not as radical as before, I mean, you know, but I don't think they have to. Things were heavy in those days, heavier. I mean, it was much tougher for a black person out there. And I think it is what created the whole black power movement and how to be even more radical. But please don't forget also you had the 60s white generation that wanted change also, and they were radical also, and they demanded change. So all of these things that came together, I don't know. I mean, I could still see that we have a lot of problems going on at the moment. I don't know, maybe Big Brother's taken over. <laughs> Something happened. You accept it. You don't fight back, you don't demonstrate. You don't come on and say, we don't want that. This audience member thinks that pressure shows how the situation for black people in Britain has come on leaps and bounds since the 1970s. You know, it's a very good thing you're saying there, and you should go leaps and bounds. But at the same time, don't forget old grandma and mother and the struggle that they went through. You don't have it now. And they have to get, they have to go there and kick those gates open and open those doors and fight for those rights. And they did it because they faced a lot of brutality. And, uh, and that's why you're right. And maybe think, and, and things are easier for a black person, but there's still racism existing. And I find racism existing is the most primitive kind of thing. I don't know why we go on about racism. It's so stupid. Would you want to say something about Empire Road and the collaboration? No, Modern Empire Road was a great series, and I was okay. happy to work on it. Michael Abinsett, who is up there, wrote it. And I came on to it and did a few of them, and I enjoyed doing it. Mm. I think it was the first sort of positive kind of black series done in the country, mm. and a very good one. I don't know why the BBC put an end to it, but they did. I know but can not... I just say something? Because there are two gentlemen here, and I don't know if they're still here. One is Mr. David Rose and Peter Ansodge, which was brave gentlemen who gave us the opportunity in television, both Channel 4 and the BBC, and they're both white, to do the kind of films we wanted to make. And that was a brave act by these two gentlemen because a lot of people did not want to know. Thank you, David. And what did you work with these two gentlemen on film? A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff yeah. that we did. They're the ones who created Channel 4 yeah. before it just gone to Big Brother. But they're the ones that did all <laughs> they're the ones that did all the interesting programs, all the drama and everything. Right. Not only with me, with other directors and other people, and they created it, both at the BBC and Channel 4. This question is. You said you scripted the film before working on it, but wasn't a lot of it still improvised? Yeah, but improvisation was something that we always was, were open to. So although we scripted it and we knew where the story won, but we were ready for improvisation. And, and because we brought real people into it too, I mean, you didn't take all the improvisation. You'll say, wow, that's heavier than the script, that's brilliant. Let's go with it, do this, keep it. 
don't cut that out. And that's how we went through with the whole thing, you know. Because they were bringing their own experiences, you know. And now the final question. Is black representation on screen in a stronger place now? And is it harder or easier for black people working in British film? Let's put it this way, a lot of black people are working on television and they're doing a lot of parts and things and they come and go in hospital series and different that and the other. And, 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 and people are working, so a lot of actors. But um, they're not telling, they don't have the opportunity to, to tell their own stories and make their own films and do it the way they want to do it and say what they want, you know. You know, it's just a job. So you're just a doctor in something or something else, or a policeman in something else, and the end of the story, where they would like you to be. I mean, I'm not putting it down, you know, everybody needs to work and things, but you still need the opportunity to tell your own story and do it the way you want to do it, like any other filmmaker. Ladies and gents, Horace Silvey. Thanks for listening to this Barbican Screen Talk with Horace Ove. Tell us what you thought on social media at Barbican Centre. And if you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes or Acast. Or visit barbican.org.uk slash screentalksarchive. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.